Hello and welcome to the week five edition of Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. I'm your host, Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. And yes, the Jets are off to London this week to face the Falcons. Before we look ahead, we have to talk about Jets 27, Titans 24 in overtime. And this will be a 49-yard field goal from the right hash. If he misses, the Jets win. Out of the hold of Townsend. The snap clean, the placement down, the kick on the way. Does it have the distance? It floats left. It's no good! It's no good! He pulled it left! This is the end of the game. And the Jets win it in overtime on the missed field goal by Bullock. A great call by Bob Wischusen on ESPN 98.7 FM. I don't think I'm going out on a limb here by saying Sunday's win was the Jets' best victory in two years. Forget about the last the two wins last year. They didn't matter. In fact, most of the fan base was in tank mode and didn't even want them to win. In my opinion, this was their best win since 2019 when Sam Darnold came back for mono and they held on to beat Dallas at home after an 0-4 start. We're going to dive into Sunday's game in a minute, but first I want to mention that our guest this week is former Jets offensive lineman and current ESPN analyst Damian Woody, who has a great handle on all things Jets. But let's get right to the headline. Zach Wilson. Damn, he was fun to watch on Sunday. He made three off-script, game-changing plays that just blew my mind. The long pass to Keelan Cole, the long TD pass to Corey Davis, and the pick up the fumble snap and throw it off the back foot play to Jamison Crowder. I tell you what I was thinking during those plays. I'm sitting there in the press box and I'm thinking about Wilson's pro day at BYU back in March when he made all those ridiculous off-balance throws in front of the NFL scouts. Really was the day that sealed the Jets' decision to draft him. Wilson turned a regular season game into his own personal pro day. He threw for 297 yards and a couple of TDs. As a frame of reference, Sam Darnold had only two games in three years where he threw for that many yards and won the game. And that includes the aforementioned Dallas game. On the throw to Cole, Wilson scrambled 26 yards and threw it at full speed, 14 miles an hour to be exact. Don't try that at home. The ball traveled 57 yards in the air from his hand to William to Coles's hand. The ball was snapped on the left hash. And by the time he released the ball, his momentum had taken him out of bounds on the right side of the field. There aren't many quarterbacks who can make that play. Patrick Mahomes is one that comes to mind. Now, on the 53-yard touchdown to Davis, a couple of thoughts. It was a play-action naked bootleg. Evidently, Mike LaFleur received my suggestion from last week to get Wilson outside the pocket. Only kidding, sort of. The first thing I liked about that play was his chutzpah. The chutzpah, Bill Wilson motioning to Davis to go long, to get deep. How many of us have done that as kids on the schoolyard, telling our friends to keep running? I know for me as kids, we played on the street some touch football, and it was always the telephone pole. Go to the pole. On the sideline, Robert Salas thinking on Sunday, no, 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 as he's Wilson, as he's watching Wilson pull off this play. But there was a method to Wilson's madness. He recognized the Titans had no safety in the deep middle, 
So he knew there'd be open space. It's a pretty heady play by a rookie. Then there was the throw. Wow. 57 yards in the air. When he released it, Davis was at the 25-yard line. The ball was in the air for 2.7 seconds, almost like a, a punt, a bad punt. It went up like a cannon, and it came down like a feather, meeting Davis at the goal line. So Salah on the sideline goes from no, no, no to, oh, my God. Wow, that was that type of play. On the fumble snap, Wilson said they checked to their second play at the line, and he loved it. He loved the look he was getting from the defense. He actually thought to himself, dude, this is going to be huge. So he immediately got anxious, pulled out too early from the center and mishandled the snap. He kept his composure, scooped it up, and still had the presence of mind to find Crowder for 29 yards. And as I said earlier, throwing off his back foot. Now, what does this all mean in the grand scheme of things? The, the most important thing is the Jets won. Yes, winning matters. It always matters. I get it. Wilson's development is paramount, probably more important than the final record at the end of the year. But winning a game is validation. It's validation for Salah, who is trying to change the culture. You can't do that with moral victories. You need actual victories, and now he has one. In terms of Wilson, it's going to be really interesting to see how teams adjust. Clearly, he's a different player outside the pocket. On Sunday, 147 of his 297 yard passing yards, basically half, came outside the tackle box. The Titans did a lousy job of keeping him in the pocket. Now, teams will go to school on this trying to contain him. Right now, at this stage of his development, he's not a good pocket passer. In four games on straight dropbacks, he has two touchdown passes and seven interceptions, which computes to a 56.9 passer rating. So it'll be up to LaFleur to adjust to the adjustments. Look, Wilson is an exciting player. He is as advertised, but he's still a work in progress. He missed a couple of gimme throws that would have won the game earlier. And he also had that unfortunate decision on the third and one in overtime when he tried to run through the defense on a rollout instead of throwing it out of bounds, which was a very costly decision that backfired. So instead of going for it on fourth and one, Salah uh, made the obvious call there. He had to kick the field goal on fourth and four. And by the way, that was a bad play call by Lafleur. I don't know what he was trying to do on third down, but I digress. On Sunday, schoolyard worked. Against a better defense, it might not work. But for now, you celebrate the moment. For the first time in two years, there were fans in the stadium, and they got to cheer a victory. And now I'd like to welcome one of our favorite guests, the former Jets offensive lineman, former Super Bowl champion with the New England Patriots, and of course, an ESPN analyst. Our good friend, Damian Woody. Damian, thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, Rich, it's good to be with you. So you must be good luck here because we booked you for this last week and the Jets go out and get their first victory of the year. So it's it's obviously the Woody factor. Um, what did you make of the Jets uh, on Sunday against the Titans specifically? What did you think of the young quarterback? Yeah, you know, Rich, um, you know, just watching the Jets, you know, the early part of the season, clearly – 
you know, the defense has been the headliner for this for this team. The defense has played really, really well. Um, yesterday they had their hands full with Derrick Henry, but I thought the defense was outstanding, particularly uh, in situations where they needed needed to be. And finally, finally, we saw the offense come alive yesterday. We saw we saw the playmaking ability that you know everyone had been talking about in the draft process as it relates to Zach Wilson. You know, being able to improvise off platform, off platform. You know, the arm strength, all those things were on display, particularly in the second half of yesterday's game. And you know, Richard, you know, just watching that game, man, it was just like sometimes when you're when you're kind of in the midst of learning. You need that. You need that one thing to kind of get you going, get you going. And I think when when the Jets scored with Michael Carter, that got the ball rolling for the Jets. And then Zach Wilson was just kind of playing some schoolyard ball out there, and that actually plays to his strength. So it was really good to see the Jets offense come alive yesterday. Yeah, I mean, some of those throws he was making were like. 50 yards in the air on a, on a full run. I mean, what, what, what quarterbacks come to mind uh, who can make throws like that? Not many, I guess. Yeah. Listen, you know, in, in the draft process, you heard a lot about Aaron Rodgers. So obviously a guy like that, you know, Josh Allen, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, that's what the, you know, those are the traits that, that made Zach Wilson the number two overall pick uh, in this past draft was, you know, a lot of guys can't do the type of stuff that Zach was doing yesterday in the game, you know, where he's rolling out and he's pointing to Corey Davis down the field and just launches a laser on a rope right on the money for the touchdown. And, you know, him being able to improvise, he fumbles the, the snap. They have, you know, have the awareness and, and, and the calmness to pick it up and drop a dime uh, to Jamison Crowder. So, and then the pass it to Keelan Cole was, it was an act was a, was on a, was a dime as well. So we saw the whole repertoire yesterday. Did he, you know, did he miss some layups? Yes, he missed some layups. But that's all a part of the learning process. But, boy, we saw some of the special attributes that, that people have been talking about with this kid for, you know, for months. I'm wondering, because of his ability to make those off-platform throws, I'm wondering maybe, do you think Mike LaFleur should just loosen the reins a little bit and, and, and to borrow a, uh, to borrow a cliche here. Should they just let Zach cook? Yeah. You know, like the Russell Wilson, <laughs> they just let him do his thing. I mean, what do you think? Well, listen, I, I think that, um, you know, Zach is in a development stage. There's still a lot of things for him to learn. I don't think they're going to completely just turn the reins over to him, but what you did see, what you saw is playmaker ability outside the pocket. That's what really makes him special. And so if there's something that can be learned, you know, as far as Michael Flora, you know, watching that game is that maybe I need to do more things outside the pocket, take advantage of his strength, because that's a major strength of this is being outside the pocket, outside the pocket, improvising and making plays with his own. Absolutely. And I want to ask you something that's near and dear to your heart, and that's offensive line play. I thought the Jets offensive line really improved this week. You know, they had some some tough goes early in the year. The first three weeks, they gave up 15 sacks. I know not all of those were on the offensive line, but thoughts on the offensive line and the way they seem to hold together pretty well on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, you know, I, I hear from Jeff fans all the time, Damien, you know, talk me off the ledge. What's going on with the offensive line? And, you know, I had to tell people, look, 
you got to understand, offensive line play is about getting five guys to play as one. And think about what's happened with the offensive line. You know, even in, in training camp, you know, Elijah Bird Tucker basically missed all the training camp because of a pec injury. Okay, that set, that set him back. Then you had Makai Becton go down in week one against the Carolina Panthers. Now you got to, you know, you got to put George Fan over to the left tackle and, and, and Morgan Moses at right tackle. So there's all of that going on. And on top of that, Rich, you're facing three of the best defenses in the National Football League right out of the gate. Carolina, New England, and uh, who was the third one? Who, who Denver. The third one? You know, Denver. Yeah, Denver. And so that's a rough go, you know, yeah. right out of the gate. But you, what you saw yesterday, you saw a team, you saw offensive line, they started settling in, playing better. The, the communication and the chemistry is improving, is improving, and they play better. And I expect that to continue to get better as we move along. Why? But w- the one sack they gave up yesterday, Sunday, was on a twist. Why can't they block a twist? It seems like they struggle every week to block, like, you know, games and stunts. What does it take for a good offensive line to handle that stuff? Well, listen, there's a lot of teams that can't handle twists. We saw that. We saw the Tennessee Titans yesterday. They couldn't handle twists yesterday either. But, you know, when it comes to these, these, these twists and, and they, and they, uh, they gave them a second will on a three man game. What it really comes down to, Rich, is communication. You got to, you got to be alert to alignment and communicate. You know, that's how you beat those three man games or those stunts and all the things that these defense alignment like to do is you got to be alert to the alignment of, of these defense alignment. And then when it happens, you got to communicate. Everyone has to communicate in order to pass it off to their adjacent, um, to their adjacent buddy. So again, these type of things are going to get better as the season progresses. What do you foresee for the Jets over the next few weeks? We know they have Atlanta this weekend in London, then they have a bye week, and then they're they're up in Foxborough to face the Patriots. Got the Colts coming up on the road after that. What do you foresee for this team? Well, listen, I think the Jets are in a unique position right now. You know, being able to win a game like that at home in front of their fans, we've seen, you know, major improvements in a lot of areas, particularly on offense. You know, offensive line played pretty well. Uh, Zach Wilson, uh, you know, had his best outing by far. Now you, go, now you go across the pond to play in London against an Atlanta Falcons team that's kind of in the same boat as the Jets. They're, you know, their new, new regime. They're kind of starting over, albeit with a veteran quarterback in Matt Ryan. So they have an opportunity to get to two and three, go into a bye, kind of self-scout themselves, get guys healthy, and now go on the road to a divisional opponent in the New England Patriots who's sitting at one and three themselves. So it's amazing how you can go from doom and gloom to like, wait a minute, we got a kind of opportunity here over the next few weeks to kind of reset everything and move forward. You mentioned the Patriots one and three. Of course, they lost the uh, the game of the century on Sunday night to to Tom and and the Bucks. Are you surprised the Patriots are one and three right now? Um, listen, when you got a young quarterback that you know you're you're developing, um, nothing should be surprising. Although um, their situation, the Jets' situation, is totally different. They spent a lot of money in free agency to plug a lot of holes and bring in some veteran players to really speed along this. Uh, this quote-unquote turnaround project up in Foxborough. 
And the fact that they're one and three is a little surprising. I, I will say that. But listen, Mac Jones, I thought he had an outstanding game last night. Um, but unfortunately, we've seen that script where anytime Tom Brady's on the field, you know, you're facing the GOAT, and he came out victorious in the end. So um, the AFC East, man, listen, I said it from the beginning. It's Buffalo and everybody else. And uh, but the Jets are now having an opportunity get past Atlanta. If they can get a win over over across the pond, get the you know go through the bye week, reset, and they'll have a prime opportunity on the road with a divisional opponent to kind of uh, get the, get this train rolling. You know, I, I want to get into your head for a second here. So I want to talk about this Bucks Patriots game. And you, of course, played for Bill Belichick. You won a Super Bowl for Bill Belichick. You won a Super Bowl with Tom Brady. So Damian Woody's sitting down to watch the game last, well, Sunday night. And what do you, do you have a rooting interest? Like what kind of emotions are you feeling as you're watching two people who've been very, you know, instrumental in your career, you know, go at it in such a highly publicized game. So what are you thinking as you're watching it? Well, first of all, I have the utmost respect for both guys. I mean, listen, Tom was a true, Terrific teammate. Still, he continues to be a terrific teammate to the guys down in Tampa. Great dude. One of the hardest workers I've ever been around. Great competitor. Um, and then you got the greatest mind, football mind that I've ever been, been around in, in Coach Belichick, who was instrumental um, in, in, as far as my success in my 12-year career. So I have great respect for both of those gentlemen. And, it's, you know, for me, watching the game, you know, throw all the casual stuff out of it. I, I was just mostly interested in Okay, what are the what are the schematic matchups? What are the things that Bill Belichick want to do against Tom Brady and vice versa? Because Tom Brady has seen it all. Remember, Tom Brady was with that organization for 20 years mm-hmm. and had countless practice. So he he know he knew the personnel, the scheme, everything. So I was just watching, is Bill Belichick gonna be able to cook up something different that Tom Brady hasn't seen or hasn't experienced to throw him off a little bit last night? Be honest, knowing Tom as well as you do, how what do you think he's feeling after the game last night? Was there is such a feeling? What do you what do you think was going through his coursing through his veins after beating you know his old team and his old boss? Uh, how good did that feel for Tom Brady? Oh, I'm sure it felt I'm sure it felt fantastic to be able to go back to a place that he had so much success for 20 years, and you know the the terms that they that they departed all. You know, probably wasn't the best of terms, but I. But most importantly, he's such a competitive guy. He doesn't want to lose a game like that in, in, in a national spotlight. So, you know, for him to be able to go in Foxborough, he even spoke on it. It's not easy to win it, win in Foxborough at Gillette Stadium, but for for him to be able to go into Foxborough on the road and pull out a victory against that Patriots team, that's huge. That's 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 you know that's a big win. And so I'm sure he's probably feeling like, okay, mission accomplished. I can put that behind me and uh, continue forward with the season. Damien, I want to ask you a, a little Jet Patriot history because you were with, with both teams. And, you know, Seth Wickersham's book came out recently, It's Better to Be Feared. He had a great anecdote in there about Eric Mangini nearly coming to blows with Bill Belichick at the 2008 <laughs> league meetings. And we know how that relationship ended with Mangini leaving the Patriots to come coach the Jets uh, uh, over Bill's, you know, objections. Uh, 
When you heard about that anecdote, you know, with Mangini and Bill, what did you think? You know those guys. Yeah, I just laughed, man. I really got a good chuckle out of it because, you know, listen, Coach Mangini, I'm sure you asked him, he was just, you know, was, uh, so thankful for, for Bill giving her the opportunity. I believe their relationship goes back to Cleveland. And, you know, when Mangini was kind of like the guy, the, the coffee guy, you know, with the Cleveland Browns. And, um, you know, it, it's just unfortunate how the, the relationship deteriorated, you know, behind the whole Spygate situation that, that played itself, that played itself out. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just chuckle because I can only see like those two guys going to blows. Like, like I'm just trying to visualize that whole situation going down. Um, you know, the teacher and, and a protege, uh, you know, between those two. Yeah, that would have been, uh, you know, you, you pay money to see something like that. I mean, that, that's something you can't visualize, you know. Um, but you were with the Jets in 08, and Eric was the coach, of course, brought you to New York. And it was one year after Spygate. Playing for Eric, did you ever get the sense of, you know, just was there any sense of uh, animosity? Or did you feel that 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 vibe between him and Belichick? Did it come up in meetings at all, the whole Jet Patriot thing? What do you remember just about those times and, and just the animosity between the two teams? No, you know what? I didn't, uh, you know, you didn't feel like this hatred of this Bob, you know, with, you know, with Coach Mangini um, and, uh, and and Bill, um, you know, Patriot Week, obviously we knew the importance of it. We knew the importance of the rivalry and all those type of things, but I didn't get a sense of like, you know, anything like real personal, anything like that. You know, Eric, did, you know, he didn't really show it, you know, to the players or anything like that. But um, we just understood the robbery. Like, it's a divisional game. It's a big game. And, um, you know, we were able to, we were able to, you know, win one, uh, win one that year. You remember the 08 game up in Foxborough? You guys, that primetime game, you went in there with Brett Favre and you beat those guys. And it, it was a, you know, tremendous football game and you beat the Patriots up there. And I just remember how much emotion was, you know, in the locker room after the game. And I think it might've been an overtime game, if I'm not mistaken. And Favre, you know, helps you guys pull it out. You remember that night? Oh, do I ever? I, I Of course I remember that night. You know, we just felt like, um, you know, <clears throat> if we wanted to get to where we wanted to go, you know, it was going to have to go through Foxborough. It was going to have to go through New England. And we felt like we had the team to go out there and do it. We had the quarterback. We had the offensive line, the running game, the defense. We had all the pieces to go up, you know, to go against the big, bad Patriots and get the job done. And and uh, Brett Favre played a hell of a game. There a lot of guys that played a hell of a game, you know, that night. And I remember Dustin Keller, you know, was uh, was balling was balling that night as well. And, man, to be able to go up to Foxborough and get that win, I think that 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 game <clears throat> that game put a lot of people on notice. I think it put a lot of people on notice. Like, okay, the Jets are for real. The Jets are for real. And then obviously we know what you know. The following week we went down to Tennessee against the undefeated Titans team and beat them on the road uh, as well. But that that game was uh, it was a phenomenal game. I thought that team was going to the dance that year, Damian. I really did. It was a talented I, team. Hey, Rich. Nick, you're not the only one. I, I, I've said many a times, I felt that team was a Super Bowl team. I, I, I really did. If, if Brett was healthy, I felt like that team could have went to the Super Bowl that year. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate. The last few games, he he clearly was not the same. Did you guys know at the time that he was struggling with the, you know, he ended up having surgery on his bicep tendon, I think. Did you guys know that something was wrong with him as, as that year was winding up? Yeah, I mean, listen, in, in pra- I mean, you could tell in practice, you know, because I believe he got injured in practice. Um, some, it, something was definitely not right. And, um, you know, because when Brett, you know, practicing with Brett, that ball would be humming everywhere. And then, um, you know, you would, you just wouldn't see Brett really throwing any, any passes down the field. Like he was saving his arm and it's like, okay, we got, we got a, we got a problem here. So, um, you know, I, I knew, and a lot of guys knew that, okay, we got, we got, we got an issue in the quarterback position. Yeah. I mean, they never put him on the injury report. And of course they ended up getting fined after the season pretty substantially. I think it came out of uh, Mike T's pocket and uh, Eric as well for that. But that was a, you know, a very difficult situation because that team was stacked on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, things happen in the NFL, you know, it just, it just wasn't meant to be. Are you, are you a solid fan? I mean, do you think this, this team, you know, maybe not this year, of course, but in the future, you think they have the right pieces in leadership positions to get them where they want to go? I, I'm a huge Sala fan. I think his, I think his demeanor is exactly what a young, what a young team needs. I, I think, you know, early on when a lot of people was making a lot of noise about the, about the Jets and you know about you know the struggles offensively and and all those type of things, just just how calm he, just how calm he was through it all. And I think that's what you got to have, especially in this market. You got to have a calmness about you. You can't get too high and too low to have a calmness about you. Um, the guys are playing incredibly hard for him. He's dealing with the youngest team in the league. So, but for, you know, the one thing he kept talking was like, this is a process. He's, he's just been repeating that. It's a process. You gotta, you're playing a bunch of young guys. You're going to have growing pains. It's going to be a process, but you're going to see incremental process throughout. And I think yesterday was a prime example of exactly what he's been what he's been preaching. Yeah, it was a definite. It, it was a much needed win. And I, the one thing that bothers me, well, it doesn't bother me, but some a lot of people say, well, this season the record doesn't matter. It's only about Zach Wilson's development, and I totally get that because that's that is hugely important. But winning matters. I mean, right? As a player, I mean, y- you want some positive, you know, tangible results, don't you? Well, listen, at the end of the day, you know, of course you want to win. You know, the thing that I told the fan base was, listen, I understand where the Jets are. Okay, the, but the sooner you wrap your mind around what, what the situation is, what the Jets are, you know, the more at peace, the more at peace and the more you can enjoy the season. And the fact that the Jets are playing so many young guys, so many rookies, there's going to be growing pains. And so for me, I didn't put it like I didn't put a number on the records. I all I said was I want to see progress. I want to see from September to January two different teams. If I see that and the arrow is pointing up, I feel good about where the Jets could be in 2022. And I think now all these young guys are playing. You start you're seeing progress from them, and that's to me that's what matters. That what that's what counts. 
Right. Progress is the key word, I believe. So that's that's very well said. Well, Damien, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate you stopping down and uh, hopefully we'll be able to connect uh, down the road. And I'll look forward to seeing you. Everyone can catch him on various platforms on ESPN. He's uh, he's all over the all over the TV. Damien, thanks so much for your time. Rich, thank you for having me on. And it's Twitter time. Always interested to see the questions, the tone of the questions after a win rather than a loss. And let's jump right in. A lot a lot of you asked about Denzel Mims, so I'll group him all in one question here. Uh, he obviously was not even targeted in Sunday's game. He had only 10 snaps after much to do about him being active. And so people are wondering whether he could get, get traded by the trading deadline. I am 99% sure he will not be traded. Uh, the talk behind the scenes, as I understand it, is that they feel he is a big part of their future. Uh, evidently, they don't feel that future is now. And uh, I don't even think he'll be active Sunday against the Falcons because Elijah Moore is coming back, uh, presumably from a concussion. Jeff Smith also may come back. So Wilson, I mean, Mims could go back to his uh, healthy scratch position. And uh, so it's a frustrating year for Denzel. On Wednesday, he is scheduled to meet with the media for the first time in a couple of months. So that ought to be interesting. Stay tuned on that. Now, a question from at Terrence Begley and Jay. Zach Wilson is still raw and he's a rookie, but watching the Jets since the days of Richard Todd. Now, that's impressive. I haven't seen a Jets quarterback ooze so much talent as Wilson since, since maybe Ken O'Brien in 85, 86 and Testaverde in 98. Going back through the years of your reporting, do you agree? Well, um, he does ooze a lot of talent based on what he did on Sunday. There's no doubt about that, uh, Terrence. And let's look at this. You know, O'Brien and Testaverde were guys with just, uh, you know, a lot of arm talent. Just really could really throw the football. They were relatively immobile, especially O'Brien. Looking back at other quarterbacks, Ken O'Brien, I mean, Chad Pennington was a touch and timing passer, smart guy, not terribly mobile. Mark Sanchez's arm wasn't even close to Wilson, and he couldn't move like him. Darnold had a good arm, and he was a good athlete, but he wasn't as dynamic in those areas as Wilson. The thing that sticks out to me about Wilson, other than the obvious stuff, is that he has excellent short area quickness, and he could really escape uh, pass rushers. You saw that on Sunday a couple of times, and that was impressive. I think his basketball background as a point guard probably helps him in that respect. He just moves very quickly in small areas. And so, yeah, I would say he is probably the most intriguing blend of different talents that I've seen at the quarterback position. And, and that's saying something because they've had a lot of quarterbacks, as you know. At Boy Green 25 should the Jets be proactive and sign JFM to a long-term deal? Interesting question here, Paul. I am not so sure that's a slam dunk, and here's why. The Jets have a lot of money invested in the defensive line. Of course, Carl Lawson with a, a huge deal. And Quentin Williams, at some point, whether it's next offseason or the year after, he's going to get a monster deal. They're also paying Sheldon Rankins. Uh, do they want to extend that budget for another player on the defensive line? Uh, that's that's going to be an interesting question. Also, 
There's a positional question here. I was talking to Brian Cox, the former NFL player. He's an advisor to JFM, and we were talking recently, and he feels JFM's best position is the three technique and that he's actually playing at a position right now. If JFM agrees with that and feels he's a three technique, well, obviously, that's Quinnen Williams' position, and he would not have a long-term future here with the Jets. So a number of factors there in that decision I do not think Quint, uh, JFM's extension is a lo- is a lock, even though he is certainly playing well. At Big Dogs thirteen eighteen, and let's see, his question is uh, with May Marcus May's agent basically saying trade him at the deadline. Do you think the Jets will trade him or just franchise him again? Well, <clears throat> on on Wednesday we at ESPN reported rather on Monday, uh, that he is facing three misdemeanor charges from a DUI arrest in February. Now, a lot of factors coming into play here. I do not believe the Jets knew about that arrest until Monday, and I'm sure they cannot be happy at all about that. In terms of league discipline, he certainly, you know, could get a suspension, a couple of games, That would not hit until next year. These matters usually take time. The time that case is adjudicated and the league steps in, uh, that probably wouldn't be till the 22 season. They are reviewing the matter, I am told. So I, I don't think it will impact his current trade value. But what will impact his trade value is that by the trading deadline in a few weeks, he's still going to have $6 million guaranteed left on this year's deal. And that's a big nut for a team to pick up. So... I'd say the chances of him getting traded are slim. I say they keep him, franchise him again, and then trade him in the offseason, do a tag and trade. I do not see a long-term deal with Marcus May. Uh, um, I just don't think Joe Douglas values the safety position as he does some other position. And then, of course, you throw in this DUI arrest, uh, which is really, it sounds out of character for May. He's not that kind of guy. Um, I don't know, but it's still there. It's some something they can't ignore. And so I do not see a long-term future with Marcus May and the Jets. I think they'll eventually move on. At Gold Standard 824, um, he wants to know about the third and one call in overtime. Why did they have Wilson roll out and play hero ball when they could have just run it with Carter and dive it over the line? You know, great question. I felt the same way. And I asked Robert Sala this question on Monday, and he explained it this way. It was a run-pass option. Obviously, they had the hard play fake on the power into the middle of the line, and then Wilson rolled out. Uh, Tyler Croft, the tight end, was supposed to block and then leak out into a corner route in the end zone, but he got caught up in traffic, and he was very late getting out, so Wilson decided to run. Obviously, that was a bad decision. He was stopped for a three-yard loss. He should have just threw the ball out of bounds and given the Jets a, a fourth and one and a chance to win the game right there, but he kept it, lost the yardage. So I don't think it was a good play call. It wasn't a good decision by Wilson. It was just not good all around. Next one from Matt Brian Schwamber, too. The pass rush was at its best in a long time. Do you think it's reasonable to expect that type of disruption consistently, or was this a one-off? Well, Brian, they're not the second coming of the New York Sack Exchange. We know that seven sacks is an outlying situation. It's only the fifth time in 10 years that they had at least seven sacks in a game. Uh, They're an impressive front four. I will say that. They have some underrated talents there like uh, Bryce Bryce Huff and JFM. We've talked about him. Uh, I think they were able to rush a lot in this game. They didn't have to worry about the wide receivers. No Julio Jones, no A.J. Brown. They were able to really tee off on Ryan Tannehill, who held the ball a long time. 
you know, and due to the cornerbacks being really good in their coverage. So I do see this as a one-off. I think it's a front four that will have some really good days along the way, but you obviously you can't expect seven sacks. Next one from from at Mario Prosp underscore Prosp. How is AVT playing? I'm not hearing his name much, which is a good thing. And you're absolutely right, Mario. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, when you don't hear his name, that's a good thing for an offensive lineman. The first round pick, I think he's doing okay. I, I looked up some of his ESPN metrics. He's doing a really good job in pass blocking. He's 23rd out of 64 guards, only two sacks allowed. I think he's got some work to do in the run blocking area. He's only ranked 62nd out of 66. And the thing I always look for with rookies is penalties, because sometimes you see guys just lose their fundamentals and, and get a lot of flags. But in AVT's case, only one penalty so far, and that was ineligible man downfield. So I think that's very impressive. I think he's doing okay, but I still think we have not seen the best of AVT. The Jets are heading across the pond. As they say, they face the Falcons on Sunday at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. A really cool matchup, uh, international matchup. The Jets did it in 2015. They faced the Dolphins at Wembley Stadium, and that was a really cool experience to cover. Uh, you know, some Jet Falcon. They don't play the Falcons often, obviously, but uh, it seems like sometimes when they do, there's always a young quarterback playing and I'm watching these games, and I have to keep on reminding myself, and you may want to think about this on Sunday, is be careful, don't take the cheese. And let me explain that. In 1992, the Jets opened the season. First NFL start for Browning Nagel. They're down in Atlanta. He throws for 366 yards, two touchdowns. And the Jets lose the game 2017, but afterwards, everyone is buzzing about Browning Nagel. The Jets have found their quarterback, 366. I remember talking to Jim Sweeney after that game, the old offensive lineman, and he said, this is the best loss we've ever had. Now, how, how often do you hear a player talking like that about a loss? But they were so excited about Nagel, and of course, that turned out to be the high point of his career. He turned into a bust after that and never really came close to something like that again. And then in 2013, it was a primetime game. Geno Smith throws three touchdowns. He rallies the Jets in a two-minute warning drill at the end of regulation, leads them down the field. Folk kicks a field goal at the buzzer. The Jets win 30-28, and everyone is like hyperventilating. Geno Smith, a rookie, you know, only a few games into his career. He's the guy. They found their quarterback, and as we know, that was a one-off. You know, Geno Smith did not have too many games like that. He was better than Browning Nagel, I can tell you that, but never came close to fulfilling his potential. And so the moral of the story is, be careful with these one-game situations. I mean, Zach Wilson played phenomenally well last week against Tennessee. There's a good chance he'll play well against Atlanta. In fact, I like the Jets in this game. Atlanta's defense, they're ranked 32nd in points allowed. You know, they're very vulnerable. Offensively, they got some players. I mean, Matt Ryan is, I don't think he's the old Matt Ryan, but he's still a smart, efficient quarterback. Corderell Patterson is just like a do-everything player. He's got 355, 354 yards from scrimmage. He's a running back. He's a receiver. He returns kicks. 
Arthur Smith, their new coach, has found some really creative ways to use him. So they have some weapons there. You know, Ridley's a decent receiver. Uh, I like the Jets in this game, 24-17. I think Wilson will play well. But as I said earlier, don't take the cheese. These are only one-game situations. Let's uh, let's look at the big picture and take it game by game. But it seems like every time the Jets play the Falcons, they got a young quarterback who's under the spotlight. And for the Jets' sake, you know, and their fan base, you absolutely hope that Zach Wilson doesn't fall into the Nagel Geno Smith trap. I'm pretty sure he won't, folks. Uh, this kid is pretty good. We just want to see him develop. As the season goes on, I want to thank my special guest, Damian Woody, for sharing his thoughts about the Jets and on some of that juicy stuff on the Jet Patriot rivalry, which he was a part of from both sides. And I thank my producer, Jeff Scopin. We'll talk to you guys again next week on Flight Deck.